Welcome to the 25th episode of, wait, what? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. This is the podcast where we take a sometimes cynical, sometimes irreverent, and even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. Before we get into it, David, a couple things. Uh, we were chatting before we went on the air. A lot of stuff going on in the world yep. these days. Um, but I think uh, I think hopefully we provide a little bit of a, an escape from that, number one. And number two, uh, before you tell me what you're interested in in the world of sports, I want to hear how uh, your band's gig this weekend went, the Fez. Well, I'm probably the worst person to ask because I'm pretty hypercritical, I guess. But it went great. It was it, overall, I mean, being around friends in kind of a normal outdoor venue in, you know, 90 plus degree heat. That was the one downside, but it, it was, it was a blast. We pushed ourselves in stupid directions as we often do in terms of our song selection, <laughs> but that's half of the fun. It was great. I appreciate, I appreciate you asking. Great. Great. I'm here. I'm glad to hear it went well. And I do promise at some point, if I get an invitation, I'm going to come out and see you guys play live, but Let's uh, let's get to it. What's on your mind this week? Well, first of all, 25 episodes, man. Yeah. They, said it, they said it wouldn't last. <laughs> <laughs> no, or we said it wouldn't last. We, uh, yeah, I think 25, uh, 25 episodes uh, is equivalent to 14 Scaramucci's. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> for those of you who remember his short stint in the White Right, <laughs> right. That term is uh, not used as much. Uh, a lot of other things to be chatting about, I guess. But <laughs> and that's and that's considered a, a, a relatively uh, current right. cultural reference for me. Right, right. <laughs> so, you know, Major League Baseball has been a trendsetter again, uh, in a way. Of the major sports, um, they are the first to approve uh, of CBD. Um, as a potential sponsorship category. And by major, not that other uh, properties are not having taking sponsorship. UFC has positions and NASCAR folks. Obviously, certain individual athletes uh, have been uh, doing endorsement deals for uh, CBD. Um, but uh, in terms of a league uh, offering this up to their teams as a potential category, uh, it is new. And obviously, um, you know, when when a league does something like this and allows a new category in, obviously everybody else takes a look about at it. It becomes a lot safer. Um, but this is going to be a very interesting development for the industry. Um, you know, one of the reasons people have, have held off on this, obviously, it you know, it has that link, of course, because it is, a, a, you know, derives from cannabis. It's a cannabidiol, I believe is how that's pronounced. It's just a lot easier to say CBD, right? Mm hmm. And so there's that that connection to it, but this is the um, non psychoactive part of uh, of the cannabis plant. Yeah, sort and, of the uh, sort of the O'Doul's non alcoholic right. beer of uh, marijuana. I I would like to think it has a little more effect than that, but um, uh, O'Doul's uh, when you not, just no. want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> O'Doul's. O'Doul's. Um, so yeah, no, this is. Uh, uh, I'm going to be, you know, a great thing to follow and see who uh, picks stuff up. Uh, the big question, of course, will be is, is what money is in this category? I mean, the industry is obviously growing and is exploding, and a lot of people expect it to get uh, a lot larger over the next few years. Um, yeah, double, I, triple, I, I quadruple in size. So the question is, is what can they fetch for these? Are they going to be big? I don't think it's similar to some of the other big giant categories that you expect to see big numbers in, including the newer, you know, 
uh, crypto categories or general financial categories or even sports betting categories. Uh, but we will we will have to see. People are talking about them possibly going on on patches somewhere, and they've opened that opportunity up. But the sports obviously is going to be a great legitimizer for us uh, for the uh, for the category. Uh, and Terry Lefton pointed that out in a in a recent one of his recent email columns, uh, and I tend to agree with that uh, a lot. I mean, as as these things roll out, um, it I really do believe it will uh, expand the use or the trial of CBD products. Well, I was talking with Terry about this the other day, and I referred to this uh, this opening of this category as a gateway sponsorship. And it's a gateway to it's a gateway to marijuana. <laughs> it's it's so funny how it models actual use. That's very um, true. But I also, you know, and I do think it's only a matter of time before they do let uh, cannabis sponsorships, not just CBD sponsorships. And then, then what we have to look forward to is that first co promotion between Doritos and a cannabis right. sponsor, right. Um, right. which is, which is a no brainer for a, a sponsorship marketer. Um, yeah. And, and it's, listen, it's uh, it's a bit of the wild, wild West. There's a lot of players out there in the marketplace. Um, so you're going to have a couple teams that sort of catch the, the big dog. And some teams are going to sign some of the smaller players. And I think those are the ones you have to be more careful about, right? Because, um, there's going to be some contraction. There's going to be some change in this industry. This legitimizes it. It gives it credibility. It it uh, it opens doors for them for other business opportunities. Um, and eventually, like any other nascent industry, the cream is going to rise to the top, and some other players in the in the category will fall off. Yeah, I, I think we're gonna we're, we are going to see some consolidation, and I and I think we're going to take a look at if this is a gateway and mind you as we've discussed on the show before marijuana the drug is still federally illegal um so we had discussed does it take that change before they become potential sponsorship categories this may change that as long as you know that the federal government is not going to um, prosecute go mm -hmm. after these cases um, and then the states continue to add it on. And then from an industry standpoint, will the companies that are involved in marketing and distribution and, and growth of cannabis products um, have to be offering both uh, on the traditional and the CBD only side? Uh, you know, we had a former guest on the show uh, talking about that they were only in that in that one sector. I, I think it's going to be interesting if this thing really explodes um, are the people that are in both sectors. Uh, they'll yeah. be the ones that are really able to take off because it's now kind of, you know, open season, both on being able to market more aggressively, as well as as being in those places where people really see that this is a product that now has gotten to the point that obviously it's accepted enough that, you know, trial will continue to grow. So a couple of things I would say, number one, um, you know, I have been involved with companies that had multiple lines of business and their sponsorships only um, covered certain lines of business and what what I've seen, um, and I'd be interesting to, interested to see if you've seen it as well, is even if you're only able to promote and market one particular line of business, you see a lift across all of your businesses. For those, so for those companies that are in both CBD and cannabis, if they're only able to promote CBD through their MLB sponsorship, will they see a lift in their cannabis business? There's a very good chance they will. The other thing I want to say is you were referring to one of our past guests, Howard Shackner, and, and um, one of the things he brought up is 
before something like that can happen, it's not only has to necessarily be legislated, but also banking regulations need to be changed because they can't. Um, you're, you're basically you're you're laundering money right now if you're if you're doing that from what I understand. So right, yeah, yeah uh, you know, as they as they say in the media, watch this space. Right, uh, yeah, no, it's uh, it's you know the sponsorship area never really disappoints. Right, there's always things changing. Uh, and it's fun for us to be able to kind of keep tabs on that and and share thoughts with uh, with our listeners. Yeah. So what's uh, what big are you looking at? That's off to Naomi Osaka, right? We mentioned her a few episodes ago that she had started. She had broken away from her agency with her agent to create her own agency. We talked about it when we had Donald Dell on, um, not with Donald, but that particular episode. Um, but Donald had some interesting insights as to, you know, what it was going to take. And it sounds like they're, yeah. they're moving. Actually, yeah, you're right. We did yeah. talk about it with yeah. him. But they, she has a name, right, for the agency. It's called Hanakuma, which is a flower, flower bear, um, which I think is uh, a pretty cool um, sort of description of Naomi Osaka, right? Very soft-spoken, but obviously very sort of tough. Um, and then they, we just announced, they just announced that they, she signed, uh, the, uh, the tennis men's tennis player, uh, Nick Kyrgios. So they're off and running. So hats off to her and her agency. And, and she's partnered with LeBron on the media side of, uh, of this yeah. and, and, you know, Maverick Carter Spring Hill. So, uh, uh, she's making things happen. This is the second year she's basically withdrawn from Wimbledon, yet she's still very much in the news. Uh, yeah, I agree. You know, hats off for making sure that she remains relevant and doing things. And yeah. on the on the uh, media company side for Hanakuma, she is expected to uh, stay very involved and focus on on social issues that are important to her. She has been a very strong advocate uh, of Black Lives Matter and other uh, causes. And obviously, she speaks quite openly now about mental health and so forth. Uh, so yeah, I know it'll be uh, interesting. She is, um, uh, she's, you know, off and running. And and I guess we'll see if, uh, if other uh, players come to that and how they manage them. And, and we'll have to look forward to see what uh, projects are coming out of the media side. Yeah, I, I would love to see her have uh, more success on the court. Um, and this is not a prediction, which, you know, I, I like to make, but I would not be surprised if she turns more and more of her attention to her business endeavors, um, because a lot of the same traits that you that make you successful as an elite athlete are things that drive you to become a successful entrepreneur. I'm not saying the skills, the hard skills are the same, but some of those some of those personality traits, if you will. Um, crossover so we'll see what's in her future i, 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 I sure will be successful i certainly agree with that she's one of the biggest endorsers in the world um, yeah. and so the question is more not that can she translate her career as a player into her career as an entrepreneur and this you know agent leader um, and media company leader as much as what happens if she's not playing as much and she's not winning majors, say, Grand Slam events. Does her endorsement value drop? Um, you know, you and I have both made these recommendations to clients over the years, and we know that um, what they are doing uh, on their field of play is very relevant to what their value is and, and how much we're going to be able to communicate with, um, with fans of that sport. Um, 
you know, about the brand because they're because of that association. That's where the affinity comes from. But if she's keeping herself in the news on other fronts, it, it could be a different animal. Maybe she is that uh, absolute unique uh, uh, Renaissance person. Uh, I would tend to say that she's going to need to continue. She's still really young. I mean, let's let's face yeah. it here. Um, and she's immensely talented. Uh, and I, I agree. I would definitely, I like watching her play because she's an amazing yeah. player. Yeah. Um, and I, and I certainly though, most importantly, just wish her the best and that if she does, and when she chooses to compete, that she does it, uh, and, and she's where she wants to be from both a physical and a mental standpoint. Yeah. And, uh, before we transition to our next topic, speaking of, uh, tennis, uh, not surprisingly, uh, Djokovic, Novak uh, Djokovic has um, announced that he will not get uh, he will not get vaccinated, regardless of whether or not it keeps him out of the um, keeps him out of the U.S. Open, which will be taking place in about two two months, almost two months to the day here in New York. Well, as a tennis fan and a fan of the U.S. Open, um, I certainly hope whatever is resolved because. I think fans would like to see the guy play. He is um, among the best, if not the best. You know, Donald Dell, who knows a lot more about tennis than you and I do, uh, would say that at his best, he's a he's a step ahead of Federer and Nadal. But Nadal is going to be going for you know the the Grand Slam. Um, yeah. He's knocked off. He's knocked off the first two, and and now you know he's obviously playing over in London. So, you know, it, these tournaments are the best when the best players are there and able to compete. Um, but obviously you have to follow the rules as well. So we'll see. And, and hopefully uh, things don't spike. But speaking of that at Wimbledon, a couple top players actually have had to drop out, um, including a few, uh, uh, you know, fairly highly ranked ones, Matteo um, Berrettini and Marin Cilic, or, you know, the Croatian are both out and, you know, Berrettini was the finalist. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and they're out because of COVID. So, uh, you know, there's obviously some fear uh, over there that there could be a potential breakout, which could, um, which could hurt the field. Hopefully that's not the case as, because I'm looking forward to watching some Wimbledon. Yeah. As, as I've said, uh, we are done with COVID. COVID is not necessarily done with <laughs> right. us. Right. Um, I, I have a feeling that the USTA and the city of New York and whatever other entities have to weigh in are going to let Djokovic play. I, I just have a sense that we're sort of over it now. Right. And whether or not, you know, you feel like you're you're sort of uh, acquiescing to somebody who's not following the rules that most of us are following. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't care. Right. I, I'd like to see the best players competing. I'd like to see, you know, and I think if you ask any champion, including the doll, right, you, you want to beat the best um, to prove that you are, in fact, the best. Right. And I'm not saying that if Nadal wins, there's a there's an asterisk there because there's not. Um, but I do think if you asked him, he'd, uh, he, he'd say he would like to beat whoever comes in his path to winning, uh, another major and hopefully for him, uh, the grand slam. So Rafa, yeah, if he were listening, the, if he were to win the grand slam and Djokovic wasn't playing in two of the four events, which he didn't play in the Australian, obviously, right. Then people will somewhat question that slam. I hate to say it, but it's true. Yeah, well, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, but well, you're right. There's no asterisk. It's the field that he played, and he beat him. Right. Uh, but and, we'll have to see. Uh, yeah. You'll have to and get the nice thing is, first. Yeah, the nice thing is they're one and two, right? So they wouldn't meet again. Uh, they wouldn't meet until yeah. the finals in, in Wimbledon. So 
um, you know, that that would be nice. So uh, is it that time of show where we talk about what the hell is going on in the crazy world of golf? I think it is. Um, yeah. So so big response from the tour as we we kind of tipped last week that we knew it was going to be a big week. Um, but, you know, we still have some some further defections. Um, but the PGA and Jay Monahan came out with with some strong moves. Honestly, I, I think some of these things probably should have been done in advance. Um, they might have helped some of the fallout, but significant increase in the purse of eight of the big, you know, traditional PGA Tour events, including the Arnold Palmer, the BMW, the Genesis, um, the Memorial, which is Nicholas's tournament and the Players Championship, um, where they, they really increased the uh, um, the purse. FedEx uh, Cup playoffs are actually limited only to the top 70. They all will receive full playing rights for the following year that make it. They did add three international events, and this is the area that I thought this was the one that in partnership with the with the groups that own the majors as well as the uh, DP uh, uh, World Tour um, that they could have come up with this idea previously where they'll do three um, tours or three events, big money events in various places around the world uh, that will include people that are top on the list as well as people that uh, play in. Uh, during the fall season. So uh, the season's back to a calendar year. So that's a pretty big change. I think mm -hmm. a good one. Um, and uh, uh, it just came out here recently that uh, DP World Tour uh, is going to increase uh, sanctions on players that are have, are committing to live golf. Um, so at least there's a little, um, uh, you know, kind of commonality there between the two main tours. Um, so Will it stop? Uh, will it stop the bleeding? Um, I don't know. They, as we've said multiple times, the tour cannot compete money-wise right now with what Live Golf is doing. The question is: is are there other things to keep these people here, um, uh, and kind of stopping to go for that for that quick hit money? Um, yeah, I, trying to chase Live Golf with respect to money, I think, is a fool's errand. I just think, you know, their, their pockets are way deeper. Um, I do like some of the changes they've made to the to the schedule, make it more uh, you know favorable to the players. Um, it's always great when when athletes can earn more money. Um, I just don't think that's going to be what determines the success or failure of Live Golf vis-a-vis the PGA Tour. It's just too too much. They you know pump out a couple more barrels of crude and you know pay the guys more money and it becomes an arms race at that point, an arms race that the tour can't win. Well, I think that it's definitely a, one they can't win. The question is, is there enough attention to the why they're going over to say, listen, we know we can't compete, but here's what we're going to do. One of the things that I haven't seen yet, and maybe you've read some things as to where it stands that would seem like a, a good move is what are the, the, those folks that, that compete or qualify but aren't the top guys? What's the baseline for them? What do they get to show up to make sure that they can travel and pay their caddy and stuff like that? Increasing uh, for those guys. I mean, some of these younger guys that are going like right out of school to go over to play live on these big deals. Um, do they say it's not worth the hassle I'm going to get from the press um, or the fear that that thing could just fold up because nobody really cares about it? You know, does that does that help them say, you know, I'll give it a shot to try to build my career on the PGA Tour? I, I, I'm not sure because I'm a shitty golfer. 
So I, I, I don't know. Well, I aspire to be a shitty golf, <laughs> but I find it funny that you that you think I read. <laughs> well, what you've uh, you know what you've had you know someone call you up and whisper in your ear or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that's an area that they probably should, uh, should take a look at, um, again, you know, amazing leadership out of some of these, uh, some of these top guys, in, including Rory and, and Justin Thomas, uh, as of right now. And, you know, I have heard a lot more people seem to be saying, well, of course you'd take it. I mean, I, I talked to people this again, this is at this function I was at all weekend. This is the sports subject people want to talk to me about. And it's kind of split. A lot of people are like, you just take the money. Who wouldn't do it? And they're trying to do it for the family. I continue to believe that this line about expanding golf and growing golf is ridiculous. Um, because the, the right now, the, the golf is just, it's not good. I'm not buying into some of these gimmicks that they're, that they're throwing out yet. Uh, the competition isn't good because there's no need for competition. It's a no-cut event, and, the, and they've made their money. Um, it's an exhibition to me. Yeah, it's a very highly paid exhibition. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and uh, you know, listen, I've heard other arguments. You know, we as a as a country, you know, have sold how many billions of dollars in military aid to the Saudis over the years, right? So, you know, there are arguments to be made that you you go after one, but you don't go after the other. And um, you know, what I would say is, you know, and this is not a defense or a criticism of any administration. Um, geopolitics is messy, right? And alliances are sometimes forged on um, uh, common threats. They're sometimes formed on alliances uh, that are finite in duration. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I, I don't think it's necessarily a fair comparison um, between Live Golf and, and our government, right? And how we treat the Saudis. I think, you know, World War II is a pretty good example of what we're talking about and, you know, getting in bed with uh, with Stalin. I mean, it, yeah. it, it had to be done to win that war. So you're um, listening to wait, what <laughs> geopolitical talk with DP and McGee. We are going to have so many verticals on this thing at some point, I think. You know, our our depth and breadth of knowledge is. Is quite frankly, it's astonishing. It's it's <laughs> it's astonishingly weak in some areas and astonishingly, you know, mediocre in others. And on yeah, rare but, occasion, but yeah. my confidence in my own mediocrity <laughs> yeah. is, is something to be admired. Quite my frankly. confidence in what I think I know, <laughs> unbelievable. Um, listen, Tim. Yes, we can go on for a while because there's all kinds of stuff going on. But we got a great guest uh, about to call in, and uh, I think it's time for a break. Let's take that break. All right. Be back soon. It's time for our guest. Welcome back. We are really pleased to welcome our next guest. Um, Rachel Jacobson spent over 20 years at uh, the NBA where she rose to the senior ranks as one of the most successful executives at the league. She is now president of the Drone Racing League, which is um, – an incredibly dynamic and fast-growing property. Uh, most importantly, as it relates to um, our listeners and especially my co-host, Rachel is a uh, alumnus of Cornell University. Um, as those of you who listen, it is the greatest university I, in the history of the planet. 
I, I knew he was going to drop that. I knew he was going to drop that, but I didn't know he'd drop it so soon. But go big and drop red. it like go big red. go big red. Listen, I'm all in. Like I dropped it like an anvil. You dropped. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's no subtlety when it comes to Cornell. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we're really excited to have you. For those uh, people listening who aren't familiar with DRL, what is the Drone Racing League, and what is drone racing? Well, first of all, it's probably going to be your next favorite sport um, okay. or technology company when we get through this podcast. So we're just like any other sports and entertainment property. We're literally flying drones around the world in the most spectacular locations, NFL arenas, NBA stomping ground, uh, palaces in Europe, pretty much anywhere that you can dream of, we set up the obstacles and the courses. We recruit the best pilots in the world that fly the fastest drones that we literally hand build ourselves here on 27th Street in Manhattan. And then we have millions of fans around the world that maybe didn't grow up following stick and ball sports, but they love technology. So we're really built for this next generation as the new playing field of sports. And I know the two of you are already big fans. You know, when I took this job, you were already tuning in. So you've seen us on major networks, social and digital, but you know, we're racing sport. Technology is in our DNA and it's just been an incredible growth trajectory. When you look at how the sport has grown and just the companies that we work with to really innovate in our ecosystem here. And I think for those that haven't haven't watched, it is a wild experience just to you know watch a broadcast and and see how these things fly through the air. It brings the gaming side into it, uh, and obviously the technology side. But I want to take a quick step back, and and you know Tim talked about your very long and and successful career at the National Basketball Association, where you rose to a high level. Um, you were part of major, major deals. Um, so one of the more traditional sports properties, sports leagues, going to the drone racing league. What was, beyond those things that you talked about, what other things that, that made that challenge very appealing to you? When you've worked at such an iconic organization like the NBA, global footprint, visionary leaders, best athletes in the world, it had to be something that I felt I could really make a transformative impact on the business. And not to say I couldn't have gone and marketed another sport and, and did sponsorships and kind of run different verticals of the business. But for me personally, I was very driven by the opportunity to come back to sports and disrupt the industry. Um, and that's really what this opportunity afforded me because they had already built the technology. That was the first thing my boss, our founder and, and CEO had done is they literally had to hand build the drones, the entire race stack, which is the radios and all the technology and infrastructure that the drones fly on um, to be the fastest in the world. They had already done that. So by the time I arrived, we were ready to become a mainstream sport. So really 
knowing those ingredients were already prepared and, and in there for the taking, I was able to come and run the plays that I knew would make us successful from generating the right partnerships with companies that are world-class marketers. When you look at our list um, of companies that we work with, growing the fan base by, again, just cutting the most um, you know viral content to put out there. It was really, I looked at all aspects of the business and it was such fertile ground. So for me, my, my bar is always high. My ambitions are always greater than I think anyone else's, but I came in wanting to win on day one and knowing that here are the steps that we need to take to be a mainstream sport and a billion dollar business. And I've literally put my head down and we've been doing that for the last two years. And you just literally have seen this sport grow overnight. And, you know, we're looking at such opportunities across the board of things that we can continue to do because we still have so many people that maybe have never experienced a live drone race or they haven't been on our esports vertical, which is our DRL sim, where you can literally learn how to fly a drone or they're not following us on, on social and digital. But we spent time and actually money investing in data and analytics around our fans. And that's really proven to be not only most useful, most lucrative when we're monetizing the sport, because we're sitting on this audience of tech setters, as we call them. There are 800 million people that love technology and innovation, and literally they will be the consumers that everybody cares about in the next 10 to 20 years. And we've got them. Um, and we're building a sport that allows companies to really engage with that demographic. So very long-winded way of maybe answering your question on why I took this job is I could make a difference. I knew that. And I could bring in the Navy SEAL operation, the people I had worked with, the you know, everything from the media relationships that when you know, you need the research that we do on our fans and you put that all together and, and you're, you're seeing the numbers translate on the fan growth, the monetization, um, the assets that we have, and literally being like the only sport that's selling technology because tech is so endemic to our drones. I don't think anyone can rival me who's sitting across the table talking to chip manufacturers and LED lighting companies that can be part of the physical aspect of our fleet of drones that fly in our sport. So let's stay on that technology theme for just a moment, if you don't mind. Um, you guys recently announced a, a pretty major partnership with, uh, with a company, a blockchain called Algorand. So talk to us a little bit about your plans for bringing DRL into the metaverse and Web3.0. Great question. And that really relates right back to the data that we had done on the fans is we saw that they loved betting 
but they didn't have a sport to bet on that really appealed to them. So we rushed into uh, free-to-play gaming as well as live betting. So we put on a live-to-air-to-bet show. And the other area that was really rising to the top is they were very interested in the metaverse, Web3, blockchain, and crypto. So for us, when we saw that category really starting to explode with so many companies that had come out of left field that had never spent in sports before were literally, you know, putting down hundreds of millions of dollars, logos on arenas. We were the ones that were meeting with companies and really making sure that they were a technology partner for us first, instead of just putting a logo out there for awareness. So the partnership with Algorand, we love that these are MIT professors. Like this is the technology company that built the most secure blockchain. So when we think about really being authentic to this environment, there's so much that we're gonna be doing on the blockchain. Like our fans are building on the blockchain. We're paying our pilots um, in crypto. We have an NFT marketplace. So for us, it's really not just, oh, let's, you know, do a couple of fancy things over here and say we're dabbling in this space. We've literally pivoted where our fans are so sophisticated, they expect us to be 10 steps ahead of all these other sports leagues. So you're going to continue to see us doing more in this space. Um, I think when you look at our championship racing season, we had always been in real life racing that was a scoring mechanism that laddered up to a champion at the end of the year. When COVID hit, we had to do sim racing as our point system. So you had pilots all around the world competing on our sim because we couldn't get back in person. Well, this year, um, not to disclose too much because I'm sure there'll be a big sparkly announcement about this. But when you think about what companies are doing in the metaverse, you're going to see us put more out there in terms of content and racing. We also announced just lastly on that point, Tim, um, we are we are going to be the first sports league to have a play to earn game. So we announced that in January during CES. Um, Algorand has a partnership with Hivemind. It's a $1.5 billion um, investment fund, and they are building play-to-earn games. So we're going to be the first sports game on the Algorand blockchain, and that's coming out this year. Um, so super excited um, about different ways that our fans can get involved. Um, exciting stuff, and and certainly the, the details of the technology go so obviously a lot deeper, as you said, uh, than most of your typical properties out there. Um, recently, uh, Drone Racing League won a Sports Business Journal Sports Business Award for Best in Social Media. First of all, congratulations on that. And take us through, since obviously that's been an important part of what um, how you built the brand, walk us through, uh, if you could, you know, what the strategy is and the approach to social media. Um, so yes, thank you for acknowledging that. It was a very big milestone, as I told the team. Um, I had been going to 
the SBJ awards, as you can imagine, for years and probably taking for granted when you work at the NBA, you're up for sports league every year and executives and, you know, best in sponsor activation. So when we got nominated, I told the team, and this was literally coming off of Fast Company, naming us the 10 most innovative brands in the world. And we were the only other sports league on that list other than the NBA. So we had just had that wonderful accolade. So I told the team, I said, there's 14 awards in the entire year. And we were nominated in an area that we knew we could win. And that's why we've really doubled down efforts there. Um, but not just were we nominated. You think I wanted to show up and just be nominated. We we came to win. Um, so, and and we did. And it was such we a- We all had to live through the nomination without the win once in a while there, <laughs> Rachel. Or maybe- Finally, maybe somebody who's didn't. honest maybe who says it's not just enough to be nominated. Come on. <laughs> Everyone, I was on the phone with someone the day of the award ceremony and I said to them, oh, we're just happy to be nominated. So the next day they sent me a note and they're like, Rachel, I've known you too long. You weren't just happy to be nominated. You wanted to go there and win. That's okay. Um, but I think getting back um, to social media is our strategy has been to put out the content that we know this demographic wants. So it's probably no surprise that we have empowered the junior most people at this company that are right out of school, that are literally living their lives on social media to help us really drive what is going to do well on each of these platforms. And I think that's really been our competitive edge is you look at some of the more traditional sports and entertainment properties, and they have people that didn't grow up in a tech first world trying to, you know, approve or not approve the clip that's on Instagram and the headline. And I'm giving this to a 21 year old. I'm literally letting, you know, people out there put the right content out and it's selling. Like you see that with the numbers of people that we've amassed here. We also have taken a different strategy as it relates to monetizing our media and content overall. Um, we've decided not to be behind a paywall. And I know, you know, a lot of other people get huge rights fees to be beyond a paywall. I am building this sport like brick by brick. And I want the accessibility, this entire team that shows up every day doesn't want to feel that there's ever going to be limitations for growing our fan base. So we've decided strategically to stream all of our races on Twitter. Again, we put out the behind the scenes content. You can watch our races this past season on NBC. And as we think about our media strategy evolving, you're definitely going to continue to see us on free to air platforms because we want the millions of people in, you know, over 150 countries we're in right now to be able to watch our sport. Yeah, but that puts a premium on the effectiveness of the social media, right? Definitely, definitely. And I think the numbers that we've been able to amass when you look at 
We're going to hit close to 5 million on TikTok literally in the next several weeks. Um, and you look at who's in our rear view mirror and you see those organizations, teams, leagues, they've been on for years. We showed up a year and a half ago when you look at our social and digital and we're just lapping them because of that approach. Before so, Tim asks his next question, I, I neglected to acknowledge when uh, when he asked the question about Algorand uh, and you said, like, that's an unbelievable question. Um, generally, I think she, said, I think she said, great. She, <laughs> I, I don't want to, I don't want to overstate. Okay. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was overstating. Yeah. Because I felt like I still owe you. I still owe you a little because of what I did last week. So anyway, Rachel, sorry to interrupt there, but, but I want to make sure that it's acknowledged that indeed was Tim's question because we kind of write and share and things like that. And, we like to, you know, we like to give credit where credit is due. And, and you know, I took. And that's how I, we success. I took one last as, and a, that's, as a couple. Right. And that, <laughs> it's definitely the key to our global growth, for sure. Yes. So, <laughs> Thank so, you, sorry. David. Thank You're you for acknowledging. All right. So, that Tim, is. how are you going to follow that? I mean, it's like drum roll for the next question. If you took your other one. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, David actually wrote this one. Um, so. You're talking about the growth in the fan base, right? Which and the bigger and the bigger your fan base grows, ostensibly you become more valuable to a sponsor. Um, other than that desirable and growing fan base, what types of things um, do you offer a sponsor of the DRL? So what's interesting is there's a lot of brands that have done golf and tennis for years or other traditional sports. And I think there are very, um, I would say, conservative companies that will continue to do the same types of partnerships for years. They still like to see a big logo, you know, on a right field sign or in an end zone, and they still want to do traditional hospitality. So that will never um, go away. I think there's always opportunities to do that. I definitely don't sit across the table for companies offering just that. Like we love to build the most innovative types of assets and partnerships. And we are in listen mode a lot of the time. So we want the challenges. You can't recruit engineers because everyone wants the top tech talent whether you're Google, Microsoft, or an insurance company. And we also have the drones that are part of our sport that, again, we own the ecosystem along with the pilots. So we can truly put together not just turnkey opportunities to race geographically, whatever makes sense. We get to change the field of play that may be something significant for a partner. So our friends at T-Mobile, when you think about the 5G wireless wars right now, it's really hard to conceptualize what the difference is in 5G. Everyone's talking about 5G and it means all these things to different people, but every wireless company is talking about why they are superior. Well, what we did with T-Mobile is we actually built a 5G drone that would capture 
footage that was never seen before. So you had this immersive experience coming from their 5G network, which is you hear me, you know, we tell this, you start to understand the story. It's not just, okay, you show up, you win this, or you get this. It is really providing their millions of customers this unbelievable content and immersive experience with our drones that fly at our races and then we broadcast it as well. So again, there's a lot of sports leagues and properties that just can't do that. Like electric vehicles right now, everyone wants to be all electric by 2025. We're the sport that can hook up the engine in an electric car to what we're doing in our drones and show them in flight of why they'd be superior. So again, just taking you through the types of assets, it's, it, you know, it's all of the above. And we have the global footprint and 70% of our audience don't follow the traditional stick and ball sports. So it's this net new audience that again, I don't wake up or my, you know, entire team, we're not selling against the NBA or the NFL. We're literally flying in our own zone as this net new audience. And we're very complimentary to other um, platforms in a marketer's portfolio. I see what you did there. That was good. Flying in your own zone. I had to pick up all these, you know, I started and my team is like, Rachel, you're tipping off on me. I had all the NBA, you know, jargon, tip off, slam dunk. So now I have right. my own. Yeah, I like I that. All my drone stuff. <laughs> um, so talk to talk to us about the pilots, how you become a drone racing league pilot. Um, obviously, a lot of great things going on on the website. Obviously, there's an arcade where you can learn how to fly and all these things. But where are you where are you getting the pilots from? Who are you attracting? And and you know, if if I tomorrow woke up and decided I wanted to try out, what would be the process? Sir David, perfect I, timing. I, I, perfect. I wouldn't I I wouldn't recommend that I become a pilot because <laughs> it, it wouldn't be pretty, but um, and I doubt I'd make it, but I think I know some people. <laughs> um, so perfect timing for your question because over literally over the last two weeks we've had players all around the world competing in our DRL sim video game for a chance to be a professional pilot and get a contract so what we do is we recruit the best pilots in the world and we have grassroots opportunities either online on our DRL sim at different live events um, where we bring people together and essentially we qualify them every year. So we invite back pilots that have flown in the previous season. We bring on from this player to pilot tournament as well. And those are the best 12 pilots in the world that will then compete for one to be crowned our DRL championship pilot. Um, so the recruitment, which is so interesting and just back to like why I love this sport, this opportunity, why I came back. When you think about diversity and inclusion um, and really the spotlight, not just on that area now, but I've always had so much 
heart and passion for accelerating underrepresented groups across the board. It's definitely, you know, an area of what is important to me that I've tried to always instill at, at locations I've worked. And that was really the, the job I had when I left the MBA working at Landit. It was personalized career development for women and diverse groups. So I love that now coming back to sports at a company that really shines the spotlight on we're not going to be the sport that has separate divisions for men and women, PGA, LPGA, NBA, WNBA. Hmm. There is absolutely no reason why women who can train on our DRL sim don't compete shoulder to shoulder with the men in our sport. And that's really our aspirations for the future is it is a co-ed sport. It's a co-ed league. And we have women competing at the highest level um, in the same shared space. So, you know, look for that to come, but we make it really accessible where you can train on our DRL sim. I tell my twins who are 12 years old, um, as much as I love that they play NBA 2K and Madden and these other sports, they don't go outside and get drafted, you know, six, seven years from now to those leagues. But if they put the time in on our DRL sim, my son's outside and my daughter, they are flying drones on our front yard. So there is no reason why we don't really ignite this next generation through this opportunity of learning how to fly drones and they don't have to be championship pilots. I love the fact that I have educators all around the world telling us how our curriculum, our DRL Academy is really helping middle schoolers, elementary and high school think about new careers in STEM, which is so, you know, not just exciting and, and interesting, but it's gratifying. Like if you could touch on quickly a little about, about STEM and, and, you know, what you're able to do with schools, both from an outreach standpoint, and I guess what's, what's kind of inbound coming from the schools and wanting to participate, um, whether it's at a university level or a grade school level, learning to be a pilot can basically be a STEM subject in and of itself. Exactly. And we love that. I mean, we have a partnership with the Air Force and what the Air Force, you know, what we know, what they tell us, what the numbers prove out is we already have a qualified demographic in, you know, who loves drone racing, who follows, who does the DRL sim. When you think about the next set of pilots that are going to fly in our uh, U.S. military. So we love that we are this incredible um, population for them to tap into. And, you know, just playing off that, we have this science of drone racing curriculum where we work with um, the Apple co-founder, Steve Wozniak's Woz Ed program, and they have a K-12 education platform along with our friends at Robotify, where, again, we're making it fun to code. They don't have to be drone pilots, but we're using the fun curriculum of building and flying drones to get people really interested in these careers. Okay, we have hit the part of the show where we like to ask all of our guests two closing questions. And the first one is, 
undergrad at Cornell, I had interned at a thoroughbred racetrack in New Jersey. Um, and I always felt like sports and entertainment was a great career path for me. I'm an extrovert and I love hospitality. I went to Cornell's hotel and business management school. So I just felt like it was a great industry. It was fast paced. Um, and so much opportunity there. So my internships at the Thoroughbred Racetrack turned into me senior year of college, really focused on that first job. And I was fortunate enough at the time that David Stern started a management training program. And I was one of seven people coming right out of Cornell that was in the second year of this management training program. And as Tim, and I think you referenced earlier, what turned into be my first job out of school, fast forwarded to a 21 year uh, chapter one at, at the NBA. Um, so that was really, you know, the NBA got their hooks in. I always felt like I was learning and growing and just circuitously worked um, in different areas throughout the organization. Well, it was a great run at the NBA for you, for sure. Um, and then lastly, what piece of advice do you have for somebody looking to break into the business like you were at one point? I always tell people, you got to make friends every step of the way. I think I, I tell my children that be the kind kids, be the thoughtful kids, um, because you just never know, like every, you need that support system. And the sports industry is so interconnected where you just never know. I mean, I literally left the industry for three years. I came back and just everyone came out of the woodwork in the most positive way of you're back. You know, what can we do to support you? But it was really those friendships that I had made throughout my 21 years at the NBA where I had done so much for other people, for their families, you know, experiences, going to NBA games, partnerships that made their companies incredibly successful. So those relationships mean everything in, in the sports business. And the other piece of advice is I always love this idea of you're playing in team sports, even for people that aren't in the sports industry, mm. Team sports is collaborative. You have to be disciplined with your time and priorities. And I always think that's an incredible mindset to have. Like there's no I in team. It only works when everyone's rowing in the same direction. And I used to say high tide raises all boats, but now I talk about like wind flying all drones. I think you understand the sentiment there is like, Individually, we can't do our best work, but you put everyone together and we're just, you know, flying at a different speed. And that's what I've so enjoyed and loved is I put so much into investing and training people early in their career, mid-career, late stage career. And 
as much as building a billion dollar brand in mainstream sport is incredibly important to me from the business side, knowing that I am building a culture um, that people want to work here, that they like each other. We have incredible chemistry is really, you know, just has been so important to me being back in sports. Well, I think that's great advice, Rachel, and thanks for sharing it with uh, with the show and with our listeners. Uh, importantly, thank you, thank you, thank you for taking some time out to educate us uh, and get us uh, a little more up to speed on on what you're doing and continued success in building uh, this exciting uh, this exciting drone racing league. So, best to you. Thanks for coming on with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So much fun catching up with Rachel, Tim, and having a chance to learn how the Drone Racing League is making a splash. Rachel's a seasoned pro, as we know, and uh, we wish her continued success. So, Tim, time to look ahead. What do you have your eye on? Well, yeah, first of all, just uh, I feel like we took a master class in, in drone racing from Rachel. So thank you to her and and to Melanie Walner, her uh, her comms person who, uh, who was instrumental in pulling this all together. What am I looking forward to? Um, a couple things. Uh, today, there was uh, a hearing involving Deshaun Watson of the Browns. Um, the conventional wisdom is that he will be uh, suspended for a year. Um, I have a feeling the decision is going to come down fairly quickly, only because as we go from OTAs into um, into summer camp, um, the Browns are going to have to figure out who's going to be behind center if it's not going to be Deshaun Watson this year. That's one thing I'm going to be watching. Um, the PETA guys are going to call us because uh, we beat this dead horse so often. But uh, I'll be watching what's going on in Live Golf and see if there's any if they learned anything from the last event in London. And I don't I don't mean that um, in a in a philosophical way. I mean, uh, just a better a better event, better production, you know, uh, right. a little bit more um, realistic in terms of, uh, you know, the the video uh paired with what the commentators are saying so i'll be watching those two things in particular what about yourself yeah that's true it will the reality uh line up with what it is that uh what, what it is that they're saying uh, i too am getting planned to check out from portland uh what they're doing and what changes have happened well there's a couple things that uh that are going to be interesting this week beyond the things that you just mentioned um i'm wondering if nfl is going to be making its sunday ticket decision uh, I think that's going to be a huge deal uh, with um, with a lot of money on the line, expecting about $2 billion from that deal. Uh, Amazon, Apple, and Disney have all put in bids. And uh, from what I understand, there's talks going on still with all of them. So that is one that that could come upon us pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, the dark, the, yeah. I'm sorry, I was going to say the dark horse in that race is the NFL itself. Yeah. Right. Do they take that package and put it as the raison d'etre for uh, their new streaming app? Well, they typically what they have done is, is make sure that there is a presence on their, you know, their owned and controlled media outlet. It seems as though what part of this deal is going to be as a ownership interest in that uh, mm -hmm. operation. So I, my, my guess, while they could do that, certainly they, they have the power and the ability to do that and, and try to stand on their own two feet and 
be that. But that doesn't necessarily bring in the type of money that they could fetch. And so I have said before that I felt it was going to be Apple um, with the moves that they've already made on MLS and MLB. It seemed like the next big, big step. Um, but you know these other these other players obviously are very formidable as well. So uh, so we'll have to see. It's going to be obviously a big big news in the space. And uh, Brittany Griner's um, trial date or trial start date is scheduled for July first. And so this is a story that we said last week uh, we were going to uh, talk about from time to time. And so another big uh, time they they have ordered that she will have to remain in prison throughout the trial, which. Um, you know, adds another layer to this thing as well. And, uh, you know, she has, a, she's facing up to 10 years, uh, but there is talk about uh, possibly trades and so forth. So this is a, this is a story that, that continues to get, you know, tougher and tougher in a way. Uh, and certainly, you know, hope for the best for, uh, for the WNBA star on uh, at getting a fair hearing uh, and be treated fair. I, I can't say I'm not confident that that's being done. It's not, um, it's not yeah. going to happen. It's a kangaroo court. Apparently people who appear in front of that court are convicted 99% of the time. Yeah. That's um, the pro prosecutor just rules over there, huh? Yeah, no, he must be, uh, yeah, uh, he right. must've, uh, he must've binge watched uh, law and order or something <laughs> yeah. to get as good as that. Uh, right. yeah, it's, uh, she's, uh, you know, I don't think there's any other term to, that we can use. She's a political prisoner. Yep. And yep. um, hopefully, uh, to your point, hopefully that she will be uh, she will be released as part of some sort of diplomatic solution to this. And to everybody out there that would say, well, she shouldn't have done the crime or carried cannabis. It, that's just ridiculous. Um, it's just we don't ridiculous. even know that she was, first right. of all. Right. Um, so, and whether or not she was, um, you know, she has been made a political person. So point being is that this show people are in are in lockstep with Kathy Engelbert and the folks from the Boston Celtics and the entire WNBA and Adam Silver uh, in saying, we hope this gets resolved and yep. um, and that it's a ridiculous um, kind of bit of justice going on right here or lack of justice. So, so Tim, another fun show. Kind of hate to have it come to an end. Yeah, sure. we, we, we enjoy doing this. Yeah, yeah. not sure our listeners share that sentiment, but we hope they do. We hope some of you do. If they um, enjoy it half as much as we yeah. do, <laughs> exactly. that means, we're doing, that we're means doing we enjoy it twice as much as they right. do. <laughs> Good point. Big thanks to Rachel Jacobson for joining the chat today. I learned a lot. Of course, it's always great catching up with Rachel. Uh, biggest thanks, of course, though, go to you. Or wait, what? Listeners, we really love bringing the show to you each week. If you like what you hear, please spread the word. It would mean a lot. And if you don't, feel free to yell at us on Twitter, LinkedIn. We welcome that as well. We can take it, promise you. So until next week, I'm DP, he's McGee. We'll talk soon.